Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P dot com. Thanks! Hi everybody, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us from North Carolina, is Matthew Garnier. He's the author of Swept Up, Lessons from the End of Times, a memoir about his church-focused homeschooled upbringing in the 90s and what he carried from that experience into adulthood. Whether it's writing, podcasting, or shooting films and videos, Matt takes a comedic angle in his analysis of human behavior and tries to extract valuable lessons from even the most mundane details of life. He sounds like a kindred spirit, and I'm very excited to interview him, so without any further delay, Matt, how's it going? Hey, dude, I'm good. It's always uh, a pleasure to talk to a fellow writer and podcaster, especially about death. What a high. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I like the comedic angle approach to all things death and life, so. Absolutely. As you probably know, we uh, always start by asking people uh, where they grew up, how they are and then what generation if any do you consider yourself a member of yeah i grew up in arlington virginia which is part of what we call nova because uh the dc suburbs are very much kind of their own state compared to the rest of virginia uh i'm 33 and definitely consider myself a millennial uh i'm probably right in the middle of the the years as that is measured but like the the element of having a foot in the pre-internet and the post-internet era is very, um, very much a defining characteristic for me, I think, because I grew up like with a very tactile reality, you know, and then being, you know, adjusting both. I mean, it's a privilege and uh, uh, something you kind of have to get on board with. Um, I had a bit of a, an unusual timeline in, in picking up all of that. And honestly, I kind of resisted um, getting with the times for quite a while. I had a sort of a monastic view of the world, even, even as a fairly young person. Um, and so I, I, you know, I try to live as if like age is not a factor mm-hmm. when it comes to other people, especially I'm like, if you're an adult and you can speak for yourself, I'm going to talk to you like an adult. <laughs> but, uh, there was a, there was a period when I was, uh, when I was getting into podcasting and I was mostly interacting with Gen Z and realizing like, man, I am probably excluding myself from like a certain understanding of the world by like taking this stance against uh, everything that's up and coming. So I, I kind of spun back, you know, and became a lot younger spirited. I was very much a, an old soul up to that point. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, it's in the beginning of your bio, but uh, you said you were homeschooled and also church focused. So I can see how those probably sprinkled into it. And I want to ask you direct questions about that. Uh, but I should mention that my best friend from college, who I still talk to every week, was also homeschooled. So it's interesting because I have his perspective heavy on my mind at all times because we got to know each other really well. And it was a huge part of his identity. So I think my first question is, how much of your identity now at 33 is I was homeschooled? <laughs> well, I, I like to be recognized not as a homeschooler, but... <laughs> yeah. There's no denying that it shaped me significantly um, because you, you grow up in a, usually a smaller bubble of people, but you also don't adopt any of the usual boundaries that I think someone in like a public school would where you go like, these are the people I'm supposed to be friends with. This is how like the hierarchy works, you know, when, when you're in that small group, you see everyone as fair game. It's not like, oh, that's my friend's brother. It's like, no, they're all my friends even though you only see each other at church. 
<laughs> or or homeschool group or whatever it may be. Um, I had a true like in-house homeschooling experience all the way through middle school, pretty much. So I, I knew that on that level, there was differences between me and other kids. Um, and my education, honestly, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's certain things that I thought like, you know, like I was a genius about, you know, like because I was pretty good at writing and and basic subjects until I realized that some of the other homeschoolers I knew really weren't doing that much school. And I, I was getting a pretty good education in those areas. And then when, when like age sort of kicked in, other uh, people overtook me. I was like, yeah, maybe that was more nurture than nature. And <laughs> I need to push myself a little harder. That's totally interesting. And um, so what's, was your decision to be homeschooled entirely yours or mainly your parents or a mix? And then in addition to that, was the church that you were in, and if you can name it and all that, uh, a part of it? Or is that just ancillary? It, so the decision was 100% my parents. Okay. Um, I, I never knew any other way except for maybe three days of preschool. <laughs> um, the the ideology, for lack, lack of a better word, behind it was um, to not be totally integrated in what Christians often call the world, it, like the secular world, um, because their, you know, their philosophy was let's just separate from that entirely. They'll never see that as um, a normal way of life. You know, they'll understand it when they when they get there, but they'll have these principles instilled that we can kind of carefully curate what uh, what experiences they have and what what they do and don't partake in. Um, and you can see that just from the way I'm saying it, like the the threat that that poses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I respect like what they were going for. They, they had our best interest in mind. Um, and I say they to include a lot of the other families in the church, because while the, the homeschool curriculum and education weren't pushed through the church, that was a commonality among many, if not most of the families. So, you know, when you're, when you're homeschooling your kids, you obviously you want to like have input from others. And so they end up doing a a lot of the the same things, sharing a lot of ideas about how to do it. And the Christian component of church um, is sort of the driving force there. And when it comes to like Christianity, um, I was, I guess I was raised Jewish, but it's kind of hard for me to like really say that with a straight face. But, uh, you know, we did some of the like <laughs> culture stuff. And then by the time I, I didn't get bar mitzvah and like, you know, so I was pretty much, uh, I was definitely not atheistic. My parents are like heavy into transcendental meditation and very spiritual, but I definitely wasn't raised with a religion. So with that in mind, um, which branch of Christianity, if any, were you in? Like, just so our audience, if they're familiar with it. Yeah, non-denominational Christianity is what it was called. But it kind of, I mean, whenever you have a group that is, um, I mean, I guess there are like broadly spiritual churches that are truly non-denominational. Ours claimed that title, but it was sort of its own denomination. And it would fall under the banner of Calvary Chapel. So some people might be familiar with that. It's kind of like a West Coast um, developed doctrine that, that spread. Um, uh, if I'm making it sound like a cult, I don't, I wouldn't really put it in that category. Um, but there's, there's branding to any church, you know? And so there was, there was a certain amount of that. Um, and like many churches, their, their profession was, we teach the Bible. We just teach the Bible, but with something that's so historical and, um, it's considered a sacred text, obviously interpretation is going to be a huge part of that. So, when you say we just teach the Bible, that's it's very presumptuous that you have a, a solid grasp on what that means. And it ended up going in a direction that I felt was or later realized was pretty radical. 
especially as it pertains to the end times alluded in, in the title. Ah, I see now. It is coming clear. Uh, <laughs> just for the record, because it's good to hear like feedback, you do not make it sound like a cult. I'm asking pointed questions to see if it sounds like one from your perspective. Um, as everyone knows who listens to this show, my goal is not like gotcha journalism. It's the exact opposite. I'm just trying yeah. to help people come together. So. I respect that. Yeah, so I'm not like trying to like catch whether in a cult and by the way my parents were transcendental meditators and i've definitely seen it as a cult and not a cult both like in both directions so i can kind of feel that vibe like it, you know some people in groups turn it into a cult for themselves and other people are just showing up attending meetings and leaving and all that so let's get into it though what the, what the hell is the end of times from your perspective and from their perspective so from their perspective um the way that they interpreted the biblical concept of the end times um you know, there's pretty across the board an agreement among Christians that the Bible talks about um, the return of Christ, which is either is the end of the world or leads to the end of the world. There's some distinction among churches there, but that this event called the rapture will suddenly um, sweep up everyone who is saved, you know, who is an avowed Christian. Um, and that's how they end. And then the apocalypse commences and thus the end of the world. Uh, there's a lot of prophecies that pertain to that. And a lot of people like really track those prophecies, like to, to talk about how close we are to the end. And that, I mean, that's gone on for centuries. There's always been people who prophesied that, well, not just prophesied, but interpreted the prophecy to say the end of the world is coming up, whether they put a specific date on it or not. From, uh, I, I guess, the late 90s, uh, which is basically as early as I remember, they were talking about it in church, like, we are actually in the last days here. Um, and there were certain events that brought that to the forefront. Uh, it, it, it had been talked about prior to Y2K, but that was a big catalyst for um, people really gearing up for the ride home. So <laughs> Y2K, I mean, on a basic level i think for most people was like kind of a joke but because it's like such a thing in the zeitgeist at that moment you know people some people at least were like well maybe you know god uses this as the event where he says you you know like you all are viewing this as um a, a man-made event and it's me <laughs> uh you know I, I don't i didn't give a whole lot of validity to that but anytime that that was talked about, I was like, okay, this might be the end. I'm, I'm gone at age 10. Uh, and then we survived that one. And then 9-11 uh, rolled around, which oh is much more in line with certain things that are discussed in the Bible. I mean, uh, the conflict in the Middle East has been, is a theme in the Bible, right? So of course there's, there's talk about that. Um, anything to do with war, anything to do with catastrophe of any kind you know, that really stirs the rapture fever. So um, at that point, I was pretty well bought in, like, yeah, I think they must be right. And just being surrounded by people talking about it, like we're days or weeks away, um, pretty much caused me to shut down and, and stop living as if there was a future. Because for me, I didn't expect I was going to be an adult at any point in my life. Um, so I was preparing for that the best I could. And you know, I mean, the idea of death and the afterlife was already an obsession for me because that's, I mean, that's at the core of Christian teaching. And so for me, it was, it was about getting things straight to make sure I'm going to heaven 
um, which wasn't the most appealing idea, but it's better than hell. Uh, and so that's what I ruminated on and really couldn't focus on much else. Wow. This is like fascinating to me because uh, I'm obsessed with the apocalypse by like the themes of it. And I've always my whole life been obsessed with like, what if the world ends or what if it like, well, you know, it's more like in the movies, like where you're like one of like 10 survivors and stuff like that. But, um, mm. but to imagine like actually thinking that's like a dooming, uh, a looming deadline is, is crazy to me. And especially as a young child. Um, so the church was informing you about like events and what was going to happen and all that. What in your head, what like to your best ability at that age, were you thinking was going to actually happen to you when you died? And then what do you think now? Hey everybody, did you know that I write novels? Well I do, and I have a new one out, and it's called Ardor, and it's about a world-famous psychic traveling around trying to stop other psychics from ruining everything on Earth. It's a fun read, a ton of people have already read it and loved it, so head over to MikeyOp.com, click the big link, and get your copy today. Thanks a lot. So, that's a good question, because they, they framed it as though it's this like spectacular event we're gonna be a part of, like it's this privilege to get raptured. Um, me like kind of comparing notes between the way it's presented in the Bible. I was like, it, it seems like it's supposed to happen pretty instantaneously. So it's, it's no different from death. I, th I think that gets to the point of what you were asking. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely don't identify with that belief anymore. I think we probably all die in one manner or another. Um, so my, my view of that kind of certainty about what the end of the world looks like is that it's uh, pretty dangerous piece of propaganda. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that, that these people genuinely believed it. So when I talk about that experience, you know, and, and recognizing that it's something lots of people in America and everywhere are, are taught um, and not all of them are traumatized or troubled by it. Um, but it's just so fascinating to examine like how that was a titillating and exciting idea for some people. And, for me as a kid, it was like that this is the worst news. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe I, and, and some Christian or ex-Christians might relate to this. Uh -huh. There was a component of like, maybe that is slightly better than waiting on death and then finding out if I'm in heaven or hell, because at least if I'm left behind, there's a period of time when I can try to fix it, even though I'm about to go through the apocalypse, I get a, a second shot. Uh, but that's getting into the theological weeds. But I think it's something that some some of the Christian kids would relate to. Well, so do you call yourself an ex-Christian? Well, uh, Christian, I think, can only be defined by what Christ actually was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an area where I have to admit we, we don't know. Um, the foundation of Christianity, the best that I could defend it, and, and I held to the title of Christianity for quite a while. Um, my best defense of it was when you at least live as if you believe in this thing, you're supposed to be indwelt with a spirit that leads you um, both in, in a path that is, you know, the proper way of living and um, whereby you would be even more convicted of the truth, convinced of the truth. Uh, when I got to a point of being able to admit to myself that's not what I'm experiencing. Um, I'm using my rational brain the best I can, but this uh, semblance of belief is not actually bringing about something that separates me from any other human. 
um, I, I think I put myself in the category of agnostic, and appropriately so. Um, and I think even for a while, I even said I'm agnostic and I'm Christian because agnostic is a philosophical or epistemological view. Christian is me saying that the way that Christ embodied the truth was good and is worth following. Um, but even then, I think what another point of realization is that so many of the things that I took from Christianity um, or that I thought were so unique to it that I should continue pursuing that were not unique to Christianity. They were larger ideas that are talked about throughout history, and we get a very unique angle on them through the Bible. But considering all the baggage that came with that, uh, I have to look back and say, man, are the benefits worth the costs? Um, myself feeling like, yeah, I had a negative experience with it, but still was kind of obligated to to keep chasing after it. Um, I wouldn't wish that on someone else. I think there's better ways to arrive at whatever truth is there. And if there's a God, then that God should probably acknowledge an honest pursuit of truth. Wow. You're, you're a great thinker. You're great at eloquently explaining your thoughts and you're very fair. I have like 20 questions I want to ask in one. So I'm just going to try with the most basic one. <laughs> okay. What are you doing in North Carolina now? <laughs> and I'll work from there. Okay. Um, I'm working 16 hours a day, uh, trying to make a living. Okay. And I have yet to find a career that I feel, um, is gratifying, energizing, uh, or suited to my skills, but I'm paying the bills. So I, I moved here, um, as a member of a mortgage company. Uh, so there's some very like inside the box work, even though I'm an outside the box thinker. Um, but I'm, I'm also like content living pretty much anywhere. So I was okay with moving somewhere that I could afford to buy a house and, and just, uh, doing my thing. So here I am. Okay. That's great. And that does help me narrow my field of questions. How many times in your life have you thought you were on the right path to like the place you want to be versus, uh, have you always been kind of like floating and meandering and still trying to find it? You talking about spiritually or like professionally, personally? Professionally is what I meant to ask, but if you feel like answering the spiritual part, that's also very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we could get into both, but I'll yeah. start where you were going. Okay. Um, so professionally. All right. So I, I felt like I was very much an idealist about the occupational world. Uh, even through my 20s, I was like, you know what? I, I know what I'm good at. I'm going to succeed because I, I feel like I'm highly capable at certain things. People love things that I make. At least, they, you know, they're telling me that they do. Um, that must translate into a successful, lucrative career. Um, spent all of my free time while I was still hustling at, you know, um, unskilled jobs, you know, working on projects that I thought would, would get me there and they did not. Um, so I gradually invested more and more time in those things. Even when I was a full-time loan officer, I was also full-time writing and thinking, all right, here, here we go. I've, I've got a real book coming out. This will at least give me a shot at the, the upper echelon. Um, I still have not reached that point. So constantly grasping at straws and trying to add to the portfolio of, of what might get me there. Um, but I've, I've never, maybe I've just never been connected to the right avenues to, to be in, in my lane. Um, and you know, I, it's not a bad thing that I've worked in a lot of different fields and kind of gotten all these different experiences, but 
man, the, the idea of being, uh, being able to escape the nine to five or nine to 11 PM as it is now, um, would be, would be super freaking awesome. Cause there's, there's such a difference between that kind of stuff, which is draining to my energy and like writing and video editing and that kind of thing, which is energizing. Yeah. Um, so that, that's the dream, man. That's what keeps me going. I know this is like an old fogey thing to say. I'm 42, but you remind me so much of myself, um, except you have a happiness and a confidence that I was missing. So that's a total compliment, just to be clear, uh, from me at least. Um, you can take it however you want. <laughs> Thank you. It took me a while to get to that point. I, I wasn't good at uh, projecting a, you know, a vibrant image for much of my 20s. And I think that is a piece of what held me back. But I've I've learned how to uh, engage a bit more. You strike me as uh, more mature than most people. And I'm not talking about 33-year-olds, and I'm not talking about millennials. I just mean most people. You sound like you have a, a really mature approach to like what you're doing and where you are, and yet it sounds like you're... Um, not stifled, but when you said the phrase like grasping at straws, that's not like an exactly like great expression for like where you want to be. So what, <laughs> what is intriguing to me is this balance. And it is in your intro. You literally said like a comedic approach. If you're the orchestrator of your own future and you're narrating into like the future and you're kind of like making this all up as you go, uh, where do you actually see this going? Because I, I see it going somewhere very positive, but I'm curious what you think. Man, I hope so. I mean, I think that, that the moment somebody uh stumbles onto something I've made and like really gets it and has the opportunity to put me uh in a I don't know, give me at least a platform to write or do creative things for a living. I feel like the rest of the stuff that I've made would also get sort of discovered. And I, I feel a little bit arrogant saying that it's not like that stuff is like ready to send to a production studio. But it I've I've put out a pretty decent sample of the the skill set that I have, but it's an unusual skill set. Cause like, for example, most people who make video have certain skills I don't have. Most people who um I don't know, well, most loan officers have skills I don't have, right? <laughs> like I I'm an unusual mix and match of things. That's kind of my defining characteristic. Mm -hmm. So if I I don't know, if I was part of some tribal society, they'd probably make me like an oracle or a jester or <laughs> Hayoka or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not he's not quite meant for the the uh hard skills, but what would make you happier of the following two choices, if if you had to pick between the two? One, in about twenty-five years, you quote unquote make it by your own definition. So whatever that is. Um, and you're you're very content with that and and you live the rest of your life with the career and and the spiritual mix that you want um that includes like finding a partner of your dreams whatever all that is two you struggle the way you currently are but with you know a happy-go-lucky attitude like you have and uh after your death your work changes like humanity but you die <laughs> which would you pick you you've hit on a fantasy of mine right there even though even though i don't really want the second one yeah that's kind of what i've daydreamed is going to happen yeah. the archaeologists are going to dig up some <laughs> stupid comedy rap of mine and they're going to like present it to their studio students like what, what, do, what do you think matt meant by his lyrics here and they'll give some chatbot answers that are awful <laughs> and get great grades um <laughs> Okay, obviously I want the first one where I get the recognition in my lifetime. Oh god, that's such a vain way of putting it. The record—I mean, the not the recognition, but success. Um, at least something that like I can because it's not just about the recognition; it's about then you have a platform to keep building on that. Mm -hmm. Like as it is right now, I've pretty much said, okay, I, I put everything I've got out there. Uh, I don't 
I don't, I, I won't have the bandwidth to keep doing it for free forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, I mean, at this point, it sounds like I'm just making a promotion for myself, but no, 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 seriously, don't, don't even worry about that at all. You're, you're not. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. No, I want to keep creating and doing things and, uh, to not have to invest as much of my energy in things that are for a living that kind of drain me. Yeah. And so I'm asking all these questions because I told you that I have been on a similar path and I'm in a different place, but it does occur to me very frequently, very frequently that if I really step back and take a spiritual approach, what I'm doing is perfect because I'm doing what you're doing, which is expressing myself, putting it out there. Um, whether or not you charge money for it or not is actually neither here nor there in my current philosophy. But what does matter is the intention behind the act, which is you want to give others this like thing inside you, this like this seed that is like constantly creating. And so I, yeah, yeah. So I'm encouraging you to keep doing it, but I'm also trying to ask questions about because I think when I said you're more mature than most people unfortunately that was in your answer and you already knew when you answered you're like well i want to say the first one but uh (laughs) yeah if you're already orchestrating the second then that should tell you something deep about your deeper philosophy you know what i mean well yeah the end game the end game absolutely is to put out the stuff that i find most valuable like yeah if if there's anything that i want to look back and feel like i've done it's to have expressed the things that i uniquely see and to have expressed them well um, so if there's a third option that is like, I sign away the rights to everything I've made and I have to retire and not make anything else. That's a hard no go. Yeah. Good answer. That is incredible. You, uh, from your lips to God's ears, as my mom says, that is, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a hundred percent like, and I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it all the time with, uh, one of my favorite comedians, people hate his guts sometimes and others don't, but, uh, Louis CK is totally in mm-hmm. this boat where he's like, no, I'm not giving, you people who gave me wealth and then took it away any more of it. Like he's just doing everything on his own site. Uh, you know, he started the name your price for my special thing. And like, I, I really yeah. think you're doing it right. I also think there are so many more people doing it right now. There's just, there's a lot of people like us doing what we're doing. And so it's like a great age of sharing. And it's funny cause all of us are splitting the profits minimally that the companies used to always make does that make sense are you tracking with that's totally true yeah there's so many people with great talent and great things to say who i know like are not discovered i've talked to many of them you know like so yeah you're absolutely right there yeah and it's interesting and then like i go to like local comedy shows all the time to try to support that i used to go to see local bands and stuff um and so it's interesting because it's it's hard to get someone to go to a local show it's hard to get someone to go to your youtube site to watch your videos um by the way there will be links to Matt's stuff. So please do check it out. Um, it'll be in the notes for the podcast. And, uh, you know, my goal is to spread the word for everyone. I, I don't put these behind a paywall and, uh, it's hard. I like, I definitely wrestle with a lot of the decisions you're wrestling with. I can tell you that the world is better with people with your energy and your attitude and your focus. And, you know, I, I've also gotten loans for houses, so you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. That is, that is very kind. What would you do if you had to take like a nine to five, not a nine to nine? Um, like what would be something you would accept that is kind of, so, uh, let me be specific from my end. I stumbled into it, but I love my bedrock of my career, which is I'm a book indexer. I get paid to read books and write the indexes that go in the back. Oh, wow. And it's crazy because I always said in my head, like, I want to get paid to read and I want to be published. And so I'm all the time getting paid to read and getting published. Unfortunately, I meant like my novels, which now is starting to happen. But but my point is, 
do you see something or can you like hint to the universe? Like, is there something quote unquote mainstreamish that would kind of give you the energy to still keep doing these other projects? Yeah. Um, so I like writing in every format. And when I was a kid, I always created like magazines independently. So anything in the world of publication, um, is very appealing. Uh, anything, honestly, anything in like film and television, uh, I'm big on that. Um, but there's, I know there are some jobs where like just the atmosphere and, and the environment and the way that they view work is enough that I like, I would settle for something that wasn't a trade that I sought after. Um, and, and to be clear, I like, I, I like the company I work for now. I just know that like it doesn't align with my skills. And so I'm kind of like, uh, u- utilizing the skills I have to try to take a backdoor approach. Um, but yeah, man, I don't, it, it's, I should, I should be better at saying what it is that I actually want to do. And maybe that would bring it about. Um, but man, I've never, I guess you could, you could say I've either never found my lane and I've never boxed myself in. Those are almost synonymous, but with very different connotations. Well, I just bought your book. Oh, thank you. So I'm going to read it. I'm excited. If you could direct people who listen to this show towards like one thing you feel is valuable, what would that be? Uh, Well, you know, I've said this a few times. I always say it a little differently, but I think that when it comes to like beliefs and your attitude toward the world, um, self-honesty is one of the most under-recognized, under-appreciated values because it's not always rewarded. Um, it's something that the value increases the more people embrace it. But for, for a long time, I felt like that's what was holding me back is that I was such an honest person with myself. You know, like I wouldn't compromise on something that I thought was important. And um, in some cases, I think people hold to a radical belief uh, that's not truly a belief because they haven't really checked themselves on it. Um, now I also recognized in my case that what I was calling holding on to honest values was a bit of stubbornness, a bit of sunk cost fallacy, <laughs> a lot of different things. But, um, if you really take the time, sometimes it involves solitude as well to figure out what is sincere in the, um, beliefs that you profess and and the the values that you hold to and be open to change those things, which is easier said than done. Um, I think that's the most intrinsically rewarding thing you can, you can set as a goal for yourself. Well, that was very well said. If you never told me how old you were, I could tell by the tone of your voice that you're younger than me, but I would think you were like very old and wise. So (laughs) I assure you, you're on the right path. Look him up on Amazon. There'll also be a link and everything. The best way to support the show is to head over to MikeyOp.com and hit the big link for subscribe and get the weekly letter. Thank you everyone for listening. And my name is Mike Oppenheim and we will see you soon.